This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience. And just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Walker, who is the Chief Commercial Officer, and Tim Smeaton, who is the CEO of Kubrick Group. So, chaps, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Um, as I said just before we press record, this is the first time we've had two guests on um, together, so we'll, I'm sure we can bumble our way through this. But uh, where we always start, gents, is by asking our guests to give themselves, a, I guess, a, a brief background um, introduction into themselves and, I guess, their journey to date up until this point, if you'll be so kind. So I don't know how you want to tackle it, whether one person wants to answer for each other or you want to you want to go back and forth. But, uh, yeah, well, I think we'll just jump into actually talking for ourselves. Yeah, it's a concept that doesn't work very well with go my on. wife, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, so, I'm well, listen, I'm Tim. Um, and um, Simon and I have worked together for 20, two years. 22 years now yeah. in total. This is our um, third business together. Um, our sort of heritage, I guess, is always working in people-based businesses. And we've got, or I, uh, I'll let Simon speak for himself, as I said, I've got a, a long history <laughs> of, of, of really believing that, you know, amazing businesses are built upon uh, amazing people. And... Uh, and that's the commonality that exists within all the all the things I've done within within my career. So we set up Cubic Group nearly nearly six years ago now. Yep. Um, and uh, and yeah, loving it. It's a great model. Um, you know, it's solving a, a problem for society and organisations and for people. Um, and at the same time, uh, it's genuinely, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. So that's me. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, so I can't tell you too much about my background because they're fairly intertwined, seems we've worked together for <laughs> nearly 22 years, but um, I'll try to cut my own path. So uh, I suppose um, uh, the last uh, seven years of our previous business, um, I spent a lot of time building our um, APAC offering, our previous business APAC offering. So I spent seven years nearly in uh, in Singapore. And again, um all about our business was driven all about hard to find skills, skill shortages and answering that need. And then Kubrick really for us goes one step further than that because, you know, we're going out there and actually creating the workforce um, that will help uh, hopefully help our clients move forward. Perfect. Well, look, you started to, to kind of creep into to that then, but tell us a bit about Kubrick. Give us the, give us the, the, the cell. <laughs> the cell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> Um, well, listen, we we uh, we set the business up for one for one reason, really, which is that uh, uh, was to try and help solve the UK's uh, digital skills emergency. Um, it, it you don't have to look very far, do you, to see organisations struggling, or uh, for that matter, people struggling to, uh, to 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 move their careers into technology, or for organisations to have more people moving in the tech. In technology, in the technology marketplace, and as I said, uh, you know, our heritage has always been in people-based business. So the so the genesis of Kubrick Group really uh, goes back to sort of 2013, when we had the idea that um, ultimately uh, we could, uh, you know, hire lots of uh, bright people who didn't have the right skills, and we could help them make the leap into the world, into the world of technology. Um, you know, because we're a data company, I'll probably throw a few stats out there. So, so here's a good example for you. So broadly speaking, I'll do some generous rounding up and down here, but broadly speaking, 8% of graduates come out with some sort of technology-orientated degree. 
computer science or, or things of that matter. But once you start looking at the number of jobs that exist for graduates, you're into the 30 to 40% of jobs requiring people to have that type of educational background. So you can see there, there's a massive um, imbalance, you know, and this imbalance has only got, uh, got worse or widened further since we started talking yeah. about it in 2013. And again, you don't have to look very far to see that it's, it's forecast to widen even more. So Microsoft, for example, um, after they bought LinkedIn, they did lots of some lots of good studies with a lot of organizations and they looked at what would have to happen in the UK in the form of job creation for organizations to hit their goals. And, they, and even their research pointed to the fact that 5 million additional technology people were, were required by 2025. Just in the UK. Just in the UK, that's right. So, so you've got a massive problem that exists here for society um, and you've got a, a big problem that exists in that there aren't many conduits to enable people who don't have technologically orientated degrees or just, you know, we don't need to just talk about graduates, but people overall who are in other jobs or maybe just school leavers, not, there aren't many uh, vehicles available to them to be able to fill that, that, that skills gap that we're talking about. So we wanted to build a business ultimately, Carl, that helped solve that problem, that did its bits for society here in the UK and hopefully globally and, and was additive to the industry. And once we worked out the that we wanted to do that and the type of model that we use, which basically means, you know, we, we hire people, we take the risk, we train them, we pay them while we train them, and then we deploy them into our clients, meaning that these individuals from all sorts of different social backgrounds are available to, to come and learn with us. Um, once we'd got that model, we then chose the data industry uh, because that's where we saw the biggest demand and supply imbalance. So we, so we came at this challenge from the context of, solving the demand and supply imbalance issue that's holding back society and organizations and we chose which other industry sectors didn't we yeah not just the sort of data and ai one data um, and ai one well. was probably the one that we felt at the time um probably was one of the greatest pressing needs there are there are other technologies i'm sure you're aware of you know what we term as next generational technologies but uh um, really around data machine learning and AI, what we felt was the gap was more acutely felt because the skills that were required um, are, you know, that they're, they're, they're fairly advanced, the thinking around it. It's not just, uh, you can't just pick up a, a programming language. You actually have to have the mindset to be able to solve um, uh, problems and, you know, inquisitive in nature and things like that. So not only was it a skill-based problem, but you had to find the right mindset to do that. So we thought... That's probably where we we would like to specialise because it'll have the biggest impact on on our clients. Yep, and that makes perfect sense. Obviously, my background similar to to you guys in terms of people and talent based businesses. I guess what intrigues me about you you guys is that obviously what most businesses and people do within the industry when we talk about data analytics and artificial intelligence is almost accept that there's a skills gap and become okay, well, how do we put ourselves on our pedestal to get hold of that talent as opposed to, well, what can we do to solve the problem? And don't get me wrong, everyone wants to help do their part, right? But if I just take you back to 2013, where you're thinking about you've identified this problem, okay, what made you take that leap? What, what was the kind of instigator and the trigger point to say, actually, we need to do something about this? Well, well for me personally, I was out of work. <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's always a good start no one would employ him so no one to, yeah. had to set yeah. up his own business so i did look at an organization that gave employability rankings and then applied it to myself and came out with a very low score uh having and, and look truthfully uh for me I, i'm really passionate about the role that education plays uh in uh, in people's lives and you know at the time I was involved with a school in Felton called Logic Studio School and this school uh, why I fell in love with them really was because they said look we're, we're going to try and get people to do some GCSEs and we're going to and then we're going to give them loads of technology skills and get them a job I just thought god that's you know what a what a really cool thing that they're doing. And they're not and they're not thinking about the percentage they send to university. They're thinking about how they really skill their workforce up. And um, that, if, if anything, was a, uh, 
you know, a bit of a, a fire, you know, that sort of uh, burned beneath me to kind of get me thinking about things. And, um, and, and from that, really, the concept of how could, you know, how, you know, there are other models out there that are similar to Kubrick Group. You know, how could we take some of the best ideas of other organisations in our own way, do what Logic Studio yeah. School School were doing? And, um, and I guess, you know, when you're onto a bit of a winner, when we went, I went and saw an old client of, of mine and uh, the last organisation I was with, and I said, look, we've got this idea about, you know, we'll train these guys up and, and, and so on. And he was like, yeah, that's great. I'll have 50. And uh, so there's also a point of validation, isn't there, when you tell someone the business model and, and they go, gosh, that's really, that's clever, that's good, that's doing something good, it's a positive, it's a force for positive change and, 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 and things of that nature. So it was, you know, I was sitting at home, had very little else to do. My wife wanted me out of the house, uh, you know, sitting in the potting shed outside. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, I was forced to... To think about what to do and, and and it was just a sort of uh evolution of a, a long-standing conversation that simon and i had had and, and 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 the interesting thing about it is is that the headmaster that involved me with logic studio school now works for us yeah uh, so nice. you know what goes around comes around i guess so, and he's he's partially to blame for it all really yeah <laughs> and i mean might my, my probably um wasn't too dissimilar but maybe i'd i'd been more on um the client side when it, it just struck me as a strange imbalance when you've got the UK graduate population coming out, some of the best universities in the world, um, this potential hugely industrious workforce. Um, but there was such a skills mismatch that they were coming out saddled with huge amounts of debt. You know, I don't know what it is, 15, 20 grand for a master's or whatever. Yeah, um, 60,000 on average. For yeah, 60,000 on average. And they're coming out. And firstly, um, uh, that their career prospect, prospects aren't great. Um, uh, there might be grad schemes, although there's a reduction currently in grad schemes. There's a reduction in spend. Every year there's a reduction in spend on training from organisations. Yet we've got these great minds coming out that all they need is a switch in relevant skills. And it just struck me what a, what a not only what a fantastic business opportunity, but actually what a, what a fantastic service to give an organisation or an individual that goes through that. And I think it's those efficiencies in our workforce and and, and the future workforce we're creating that, that really attracted me to it. Yeah. I'm keen to jump into letting you guys explain about the model. But I guess before we do that, obviously, um, I know some of the massive major global brands that you guys work with and consult for and, and obviously, you know, put put your people on site with. And I know, Tim, you mentioned there about the validation of, you know, a client saying to you, yeah, give me 50. Um, but what? how were those conversations in the early days kind of received? Because obviously, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of businesses want to hire senior talent that can hit the ground running. But that's probably because there's a misconception, <laughs> right, of what's available at the junior end and what they can deliver. Well, I think I think that's a really interesting question because... Um, I'll answer it in two ways. Um, when we first uh, spoke about this model and the business to clients, I think there was a real, it felt like a year, a year and a half of educating people um, because there was obviously nervousness about they're very new, you know, they lack domain experience. Um, but but really on the, on the second part of your question, that the, the need is so great and it, and it is still a new industry that um, there aren't people there to do it. So you, you have this great thing of the unfillable role um, and it starts in a couple of ways and you'll know from this. And you know sometimes you find a hiring manager, take pride in it. But what we found is people are like, we need two to three years experience because it's just enough to go, well, we're, we're looking for junior people, we're bringing in junior talent, but equally it's just enough that at least they know enough. So they're not gonna take up my time or, you know, make a really big mistake. And, and basically that's where we came in. And that, and that's really where um, if you want to build the next um, motivated generation of workers with these specialist skill sets, then that Kubrick model answers that. Um, and I think, you know, I could talk for ages about the unfillable role in the two to three years and all of this, but you've, I think you've just got to be very wary of that, but that's the early days was all about education um, the clients understand it and they are on a mission to transform their business. And, you know, if you look at COVID 
Um, lots of businesses came out of COVID um, understanding that, um, you know, let alone compete, they had to redefine their business models. And they knew that they had to do that by building a data function that was capable to allow them to, to, to execute on that. Yeah. yeah, that makes perfect sense. So tell us a bit about the model then, obviously, hire, train, deploy. What is it? How does it work? Who are you finding kind of likes to take, you know, is kind of adapting and adopting that that model? What are the benefits? Talk us through it. Well, uh, it's a really rotten name. It is. It really, well. it's it really is. It's a real transactional name. Like, you know, <laughs> I can't think of an, I can't think of a sort of analogy. Well, it sounds quite it. transactional. It's very transactional. So we don't do ourselves any favours <laughs> by calling it that, I think is the first thing I'd say. Um, but really what we are is a last mile training company. So we're additive to the industry because we're taking people who don't have training in data, AI, cloud engineering, whatever it might be, and we're skilling them sufficiently, as Simon just said, to be productive in the workforce. So um, at its most basic level, that, 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 is, that is the model. So, you know, what are, the, what, are the down, what are the pros and cons of the model, right? So, uh, well, the pros of the model are you're increasing your diversity when you use Kubrick Group because we're able to draw people from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different degree types, and in time, we'll take people from even greater levels of diversity than just university, which is something we've got planned. Um, and we're skilling them and helping them migrate their career or accelerate their career into one of the fastest growing sectors. So, so that, that's, that's just a very basic pro of the model. The other, the other pro of the model, I guess, is that you know, there's lots of boot camps out there and lots of, I mean, universities, they charge you, what's it, 18 grand for a master's yeah, in data yeah, science? Yeah. 18 to 20 with grand. No, with no promise of a job. You know, I don't know about you, but I've just run up a load of debt as a graduate. The last thing I want someone to tell me after COVID is, tell you what, let's run up another 18 grand's worth of debt and coincidentally we'll take no responsibility for your future or your job prospects. You know, so I think we also serve as a very nice alternative to the master's industry or around the universities or, or, or yeah. more vocational degrees. So, so we're sort of taking a population of people, a diverse population of people, we're skilling them and then we're deploying them in clients. And then what's great about the model, in my opinion, or what's, what clients say is great about the model is they get to keep those people after a period of time. We don't charge any fees or anything of that sort. Our model is really, really simple. We take the risk we back ourselves to hire talent that's not been, you know, that's not been trained appropriately yet, and we'll, you know, we'll deploy it into projects. And when we've effectively paid, paid for all of that training, all of the salaries that we pay them while they're training and all that type of stuff, then we'll 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 let you take them from us. So we won't charge a fee. And I don't think any other consultancy has uh, that type of uh, that type of model where they're saying resource highly skilled high quality and long-term staff augmentation and, and, and about about 75 percent of our of our consultants join the client permanently mm. you know interesting how are you going identifying who you want to bring into the business because you talked about diversity there and it's a it's a great point i literally was involved in a linkedin content thing this morning about diversity and the honestly the amount of clients now that i have come to me saying Right, Kyle, we need to hire a, an example, but we need to hire a female into our senior mm. leadership team within a, within a data analytics capability. And I'm kind of like, there's kind of something wrong with that. Fundamentally, there is a problem here, a bigger problem at play. Um, the flip side of that equation is that I'm involved in a number of university programs myself where I go and do public speaking to raise awareness around the data analytics industry, typically within programs that are non-conventional so probably not computer science but they might be doing i don't know quantitative analysis maybe in a criminology or sociology or psychology degree so these people would have the basic fundamentals that a kubrick could take and really develop into something special yet what fascinates me is that those people sat in that lecture hall don't even have a clue that there's an industry out there for data analytics people yeah it's madness, right? So how, how do you go about identifying, I guess there must be certain community aspects that you guys are heavily involved in to make this work, right? There, there, there is. I mean, we're, over the past, um, well, firstly, what I would start with is the model. So one of the things that we know is we've recently 
surveyed our consultants and 95% of them would not have um, entered a career in data had they not had the safety net of salary training. They would not have been able to take the time to do that. So there is an element with our model that we are giving a certain degree of security and support. But I think that's one of the big barriers. You know, if someone hasn't done a maths degree or a physics degree, then one of the big barriers is, can I do this? So if we're selecting them and we're supporting them in that, then I think that's that, that that's one thing. Also, I would say there's misconception that we're trying to overcome that um, uh, all data careers need a certain type of degree, whether it's um, computer science or, you know, physics, maths. So we have uh, loads of people from arts degrees. And the way we've got those people is, is through constant advertising, messaging. Um, there's a great video at the moment on Kubrick LinkedIn that I'd ask anyone to have a look at, which is our consultants that are from, um, tr- from degrees you wouldn't have traditionally associated with data, you know, talking about how they'd come from a history degree, geography degree, an arts degree, where they've moved into data. So Kubrick, you know, we allow that vehicle. And I think that 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 offering of paid training and that support does break down a lot of those barriers. They're not going to be able to walk into a bank and join uh, the data team per se, or, nor they might want to. They might, you know, it might be quite intimidating to do that. But, I mean, I think you're bang on the money. If, 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 you know, if you think about it, if 95% of our consultants are saying, I cannot afford to do a master's degree, go to a boot camp or pay for a load of training. And we're, and, and we're you know, basically, you know, giving them a salary and paying, to, you know, paying them while they train and training them and carrying all that risk and then guaranteeing them work at the end of that. You know, even the people that don't, you know, that finish our training that might have failed a unit, they're still our, they're still our employees. We still look after them. We still them. have to look after them. Absolutely. You know, uh, that in its own base level is just so much more inclusive than perhaps a slightly more financially elitist approach of come and do a data science master's degree at Imperial College. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not saying that those, they're bad ed- forms of education. No. And I'm not saying boot camps don't do a good job, but they are very tailored to people who can afford them. So, you know, uh, it's been very interesting for us as we expand into the US, just seeing how different communities and different countries look at inclusivity. Yeah. You know, and you're absolutely right. At its base level, we might get carried away about the, uh, the you know, the, the mix of... Uh, the, the, of males and females within within a team, or something of, of something of that nature, but I I, I think here at Cuba Group, when we strip it all back, we're just trying to be as inclusive as possible and provide as many you know different opportunities for people from all forms of backgrounds to a be themselves and b learn some really cool skills that are going to set them up in their careers and and you know and many of them will go on to join our clients. 10 or 15% of them will stay with us and become our squad leaders that oversee these more junior people, you know. And uh, as long as we get that engine really firing and we're really good at it, then um, I think we are really driving a great social agenda that is helping, in the end, you know, our clients and, and all of the people that I've just mentioned. So, yeah, we, we liked that bit about yeah, the model. Definitely. Loads when we set up the business, didn't we? Because uh, it just seemed a lot of other stuff just seemed broken to us. Yeah. And look, hats hats off to you, gents, because I think, you know, when again, when I stand in front of that lecture hall that's full of diverse people that, you know, don't even know this industry exists, but once they do, they're really interested by it, but then often become really deflated by the fact that every advert they look at right from a job perspective it's <laughs> you need to have five years yeah, python yeah, experience right. or that's sql right. and they're like well i don't i don't have that they might have used i don't know excel or spss yeah. or something baseline like that right so and then so you know you guys are giving them that platform to actually you know you can get into this because these people now they once they know about the industry it actually makes sense to them right they want to yeah. get into it that's right it's been one of one of the 
I don't know if you share this. I, I think you do. The one of the best things about Kubrick, and as as um, the years have passed, we're only you know just under six years old. But what's been great has been seeing our alumni and where they've got to in organisations. So we have a, which is a really cool, we're very privileged to have. We've got very very high alumni engagement um, percentage. Ninety six percent of people um, uh, want to. Uh, keep engaged with us and, and do different uh, um, activities that we set, set an alumni agenda. But it's incredible to see how some of those people have moved and where they are in the senior positions they would have had and knowing that um, they actually wouldn't have entered that field or that career. Um, it's probably one, it's, it, it's the it's a big rewarding element of the business, I think. Yeah. I mean, how many graduates really know what you want to do when you leave university? I mean, I, don't know. I was a, I was a civil engineer. I studied you know, film. And, I mean, Simon's got a very strong technological heritage <laughs> in, in studying film at Bournemouth University. You know, I do sometimes worry about his pedigree in the data industry because it's so strong. Thank you for your. I think concern. it intimidates a lot of the chief data officers. <laughs> Thank you for your concern. Too. I'm right. sure they're very. Good. But you know, I'm sure they're very intimidating. I was a civil engineer. Yeah. Oh, and, and the only reason I was a civil engineer... In a sewage works. Well, in a, yeah, thank you, Simon. Yes, I was in a sewage works. I'll, I'll, I'll keep from the jokes. And that, yeah, I mean, that was, as jobs go, I don't want to sound, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like people's dads, you know, when you go, oh, you don't know how, you don't know how lucky you are. <laughs> you know, I'm 50. I was not started life in a sewage drip plant. But, you know, genu- genuinely, <laughs> I saw some pretty, you know, my my... My graduate prospects were pretty <laughs> yeah. awful in terms of the job, in terms of the job that I did. So, um, you know, it's, it is, I tell you what is satisfying about kind of what we do is compared to the other companies we've run, right? Um, we knew we were onto a, a good thing early because of the clients, you know, that you were saying, you know, the 50 people and all that type of stuff. But it is really, really special. Uh, I don't know, special. I don't know what the right word is, but it's it's pretty special when these alumni members come back. And I, I, you know, Simon and I know the names of all of them from the first few groups. You know, you see them and they look you in the eyes and they say, "God, you know, um, a you didn't really know what you were doing when you hired us <laughs> in the first group." Yeah, but thanks anyway. But you know, you've really, uh, you know, we've really helped us. Thank you. Um, you know, we, you know, it was good fun. And they come back and you see where they are at. And you think, gosh, you know, it's, they're 28 years old, some of these yeah. guys that are in our yeah. alumni. And they're properly senior already, aren't yeah. they? And they're going to do far better than Simon, you know, Simon from film school and Tim from the sewage treatment plant are ever going to do. <laughs> what, a, what a duo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They must be so inspired. Oh, they're amazing. Oh, look at those two. Yeah. <laughs> the two Ronnies of data, they say. <laughs> Oh dear! Out of interest, this is just me thinking out loud, gents. But do, the the clients that come and engage your services and the and the you know the the people that you do work for, is it the the consulting part that they come for, or is it the scale at which you can do the consulting part, or is it the kind of the 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 data for good factor of you know the, you know is it or is it a mix of everything? Well, um, it, I mean, yes, it could be a mix for everything. But normally what, what happens, <clears throat> if you think about the, the life cycle of a client with us, is um, they are at some point on their data journey. And what is facing them is that they, that they, do not, they are unable to have a high-quality supply of individuals that they can build their workforce for um, and you know their their data strategy is 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 ten years plus a lot of these a lot of these organisations, and they need to look at a long term solution where it isn't just relying on contractors or traditional consultancies that <clears throat> will walk out with the IP, but something um, that will augment those people, retain the IP, and actually build out their workforce. That's re- that that's the first step. Of, of why they trial us. And then obviously the larger organizations um, then stay with us because of, of the results that we have and they start turning those people permanently into their workforce. And the model really works for them from that point of view. Is there, in your opinion then, is there a skills gap or do you think it's more of a, a gap around expectations? 
Uh, no, there's. I think if you go back to the Microsoft research, there is definitely a skills gap. I think that can be exacerbated by expectations. Um, but, you know, how long do you leave the unfillable role and, <laughs> until your role becomes quite fillable <laughs> because you can't hire anyone? Yeah. Um, I think there is a, there's a gigantic skills gap. And, I mean, you know, COVID, COVID accelerated. I'm guessing you must have... You must have felt that. Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because obviously from our our business perspective, right, we work at the mid to senior end and we everything we do is with a, you know, smaller, so more select group of clients, but everything at scale. But some of the conversations I get into, you know, sometimes I come off and I'm just thinking, you know, what's <laughs> like, what's what's going on here? You know, it may be a specific skill set that there's not a lot of people for and they'll turn around and say, right, and we want six of them. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go back to them with some research and say, right, well, there's actually only nine of these people exist, you know, in and around your location. And there's also nine companies who are also looking for six of these people. Yeah. So math tells you that <laughs> yeah. th- this isn't going to work. So you need another solution. Um, and that's normally where the conversation starts and, <laughs> and ends because then they go, OK, well, we'll, we'll just keep looking. Uh, well, <laughs> how long yeah. for, you know, yeah, so. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. That's where you normally put your right card up, I guess, Carl. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hang on, one of those clients is a Kubrick. <laughs> Clever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't have to put on a podcast just last. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, look, obviously, you must be in with these organizations, right? We were probably going through that same thing, though, right? They'll be looking for senior people and they want multiples of these people, right? But that will evidently do a lot of bad things for them as a data capability for their business, the projects is, you know, they're, they're, they're being delayed, et cetera, et cetera. How, how do you go in there and position yourself and kind of give advice, right? Because I guess that's what part and parcel of what you do. Well, I think it's not, it's not dissimilar from how you described it. I think it's, it's, um, if, if you, client, you just have a solution and I don't. More there is that, <laughs> but um, uh, I think it's I think there's expectation management because often people will be like, you know, the I need two or three years experience, and it's and it's well, how big how big was the workforce population two or three years ago? What is there now? Um, uh, you know, even at Kubrick, um, uh, demand at the moment outstrips supply. Um, so even we're creating the workforce, there's, there's not enough people. So it's expectation setting. It's understanding where they are in the data journey. Um, and it, it, it's a, it's realizing that and then being able to fulfill those skill sets and the five practices that, yeah. that, that we produce. Do you ever feel like, I wonder if there's a, there's a natural tension, isn't there? A lot of people talk about the sort of tension between HR departments and uh, sort of line managers. So I, I often think it's not necessarily just a skills issue. It's also a sort of organizational one whereby, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a senior person who is basically remunerated on delivery. And my delivery goals or my remuneration is quite short term. So, you know, if I'm if I'm remunerated against a series of outcomes that are for the next year or six months, whatever that might be, or my success is recognized against a series of outcomes that is short term then what am I going to want to do? Well, I'm going to want to hire people that I don't need to onboard, I don't need to spend much time with, and who are self-managing. So unfortunately, mm. you know, I do, I do think there is, the world is, is, is just basically rotating at such a pace now, and technology is advancing at such a pace, so that I feel really quite, you've got to really sort of empathise with yeah individual X whose responsibility for the new digitization of the blah, blah, blah platform and the yeah, customer X, Y, and Z thing, because this individual, you know, she's up against the clock to get this system rolled out because if she doesn't do it in time, Amazon are about to eat their breakfast. Yeah. 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 So you, you have this conflict that's taking place in organizations, which says go faster, be smarter, fail fast, get stuff done. Oh, and coincidentally, long-term talent development. <laughs> Think about your people, you know, yeah. et cetera. And that's a really tough line to walk, yeah. you know, if you're in that sort of role. And, and I think that's – you must see this with a lot of your clients because 
you know, that's you're basically just wearing two totally sort of opposing hats yeah. at the same yeah. time, aren't you? So I, you know, I think there are, I, I won't go into the virtues of why Kubrick Group helps address that problem, <laughs> but it's very clear and obvious to all <laughs> listeners right now, I'm sure. But um you know, that's tough. Yeah, it is. Really and, is. And, and if you said to me, you know, if you looked at your alumni, what skills are they going to find harder to learn? I wouldn't say, oh, it's SQL level, blah, 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 or, you know, uh, you know, the latest machine learning technology or yeah. how to be an amazing, you know, or an accreditation with Azure or whatever it might be. I'd say to them, actually, it's balancing the responsibilities as a, as a people leader with the personal pressure of sitting within an organization requiring you to deliver digital assets really quickly. So yeah. you've got a real, you know, it's, I don't know, I don't think that's going away. No. <clears throat> um, and I think that's a really, and, and, it, and if the world keeps spinning faster and technology keeps evolving quicker and competition keeps increasing for, for organizations that, that are your clients, then it's only going to yeah. get worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but it strikes me that the problem is not at that base level, yeah. it's that's the symptom to the, the the bigger problem, you know. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If you look at you know what, what's the average tenure of a CDO, you know, um, 18, 24 months, and that's because now you know there's been all this you know perceived failure, maybe where organisations haven't quite got as much value out of their data analytics initiatives as they thought they were going to get, and now it's a case of well. The writing's on the wall, right? You need to show us some ROI and you need to do it quick. So yeah, as you said, they don't have time to be, well, if we've got six months to train people, it's like, you know, crap. Yeah, yeah, we need some help. We need someone who can do this right yeah. now or, or it's my kind of head on the chopping block. Yeah, you can I understand wonder, why they're asking for that experience because yeah. they want it now. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder how many of your clients say to you, people are our greatest asset. <laughs> all of them. Right? Yeah. And then all of them, right? And then when you watch how they behave, you think, God, that's really weird because you don't treat them like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. you know, they're, you know, this is a far greater challenge than yep. Simon's film school education or my <laughs> sewage treatment plant experience will be able to solve. So at the at the current rate, <laughs> Tim, <laughs> Tim, I'm going to come back to you as the, as the stats man. How, how long does this skills gap continue then if, if kind of things remain as they are? 18.6 years. <laughs> I don't know. A long time, I suspect. Yeah. You know, well, if, okay, so what's the problem, you know, what's the real problem that needs fixing? Well, it, it's not a demand one, is it? Let's be honest. And the, the pace of change in technology isn't going away. So it's a supply one. So what are, what are the things that could happen to solve the supply issue? Well, universities are uh, great, you know, not knocking them in the slightest, but they... Uh, have historically been behind what corporates want from them from a technological or skills-based perspective. And they are academic by definition, you know. Good for research. Good for research. The yeah. students, you pay your fees. You learn some life skills. You know, um, I learned a lot of life skills at university, yeah. perhaps more than technical skills, but that's another matter. <laughs> uh, you know, so so I, 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 I think... Uh, there aren't enough industries that exist within that are solving the supply side. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a continued privatization of universities, not for for-profit for universities. I think you're going to see uh, investment. Uh, and I mean, you know, government is being lobbied very hard at the moment about the apprenticeship levy because it isn't working. There are less apprenticeships now than there were four years ago. That just doesn't work. You know, and then you've got the whole privatization of this sort of reskilling uh, last mile training industry that I mentioned before. So that's going to take a, that industry is going to take a long time to reshape it safe and solve and solve this problem. So you know, uh, you know, although I don't look fifty, I am. I, I think I'll be well. I think I'll be retired before the skills gap. Thank goodness problem. this is a podcast. Thank goodness. Yeah, I'm more than face for radio. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, I'll be, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be retired before the problem is solved. Yeah. If, if it gets solved, I'm not, yeah. I'm not confident that it will be. Especially as the pace of change. Yeah. It's just, you know, if 7.8% of graduates have some sort of computational degree yeah. and 30 to 40% of the jobs <laughs> require that, you know, that's a massive gap to bridge. Yeah. 
so and that's and that's been widening. So I, I don't see anything hugely dramatic in the world right now that's going to stop that problem. Mm. Yeah, with it being so candidate driven still at all levels right there's more demand than there is suppliers as you've alluded to what are the kind of bits of advice that you give to the clients that you partner with in terms of you know trying to become an, an employer of choice as it were to kind of you know elevate themselves above the rest of the pack so without naming names on clients um certainly examples of the clients that do it really well um uh with us is is i don't necessarily think it's about kind of having bean bags and table tennis tables in the in the in the shared space or anything like that. Um, I think what it's about, especially in data, is giving people opportunity um, to work on interesting things and make an impact. And that doesn't mean that suddenly everyone's going to be in charge of a critical part of the business. But it's like anyone, you know, you go you go to work and you want to feel like your day has been worthwhile. And you've added something, and there's some gratitude for you coming in and doing that. And and really, the the clients that I see, and the way I measure it really is um, the satisfaction of Kubrick people on site, and also actually what percentage of them decide to join that client, and the commonality with the clients that are very successful about taking on those people and building their workforce from Kubrick are the ones that do that, the ones that ensure that people are developing but they're actually adding something and i think that's really important and i think you know people people try to make try to label generations i think it's been important for every generation they actually feel like they're moving the needle and they're actually doing something um and you know there is a there is a sense of satisfaction and gratitude given to that person i don't think it's about as i said bean bags and table tennis tables and, and all this kind of stuff it's it's yeah. I would like to add that the first thing we do when we move in this office is Simon order a stand-up <laughs> arcade machine. <laughs> well, it may be more for his benefit. Uh, that is unfortunately true. <laughs> no, but look, I think I think you're absolutely spot on, and I'm glad you said that because I honestly bang on about this all the time. You know, if you rewind 10 years, you'd see it on every advert, right? You know, talking about three o'clock beers on a friday and beer fridges and foosball tables and pool tables and bean bags and you can bring your dog to the office days and stuff like that and for me that's all part of the employer brand whether you want to put that in there or not yeah that's kind of that's kind of is what it is well now everyone's doing it so therefore how are you going to stand out exactly right but data people now aren't really bothered about that whether other people in other industries are or not i'm not sure because obviously we're so focused in this but i guess you know as you mentioned the things that we hear and see all the time across all levels is that you know they they want to be able to see that their work is adding value and it's impactful and something comes of it because the amount of you know candidates we speak to across all levels that say a project lands on my desk i do that project it kind of you know shoots off into the into the ether i've no idea if it was used if it was not if it was good if it was bad there's no feedback loop all of that type of stuff so that's yeah. the stuff now they're actually pining for right it's the it's that's the validation right. of their work they want to feel valued they want to add impact and i guess value itself has probably become its own buzzword in our industry right to be honest yeah. so yeah that's uh, right. it's uh it's interesting I, I know simon when we've spoke separately you've talked about data leaders thinking like an entrepreneur to kind of create ways to solve this problem talk us through that kind of concept to solve to solve the problem as in um of being a better employer brand or yeah just like the talent gap in 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 general across data well i think that there's some really good examples that, that we've come across i think that firstly um that someone has got to be able to um understand that uh, even if they work for a big corporation, that they've got to be able to foster um, a, a culture whereby people feel like um, they add value, all the stuff that we've said, they um, they can paint a vision. The great thing that um, we talk about uh, with a lot of the people that work for us is that they're not just technologists. It's not some transactional role where they, you know, oh, um, this is the latest Python or, you know, they've got really excited over a new package but actually they are solving business problems and opportunities. And I think that some of the best data leaders that we're seeing are able at a vision and goal around the business's problem and what they're there to solve. 
and they allow people to paint themselves into that picture so they understand the impact that they're having, they understand the role that they're having. Um, and it is much like owning your own business, you know. So just because you might be running a data department of a large bank, your department is there to solve some pretty amazing, uh, pretty what well, discover amazing opportunities or solve some really big problems. And being able to get people aligned to that vision and understand that they're part of that vehicle and what role they have in that. I think that's where we've probably seen some of the some of the most engaged teams and and therefore the best performances. Mm, yeah. I think also it's probably worth adding to that, right? You get every business talks about their, you know, the the their success as a data leader will be a direct correlation between how good of a team they've built and how, you know, how they bring all of that together. Yet so many businesses that we deal with where these data leaders are hamstrung by operational deficiencies with like HR yeah. disparities, like Tim spoke about earlier, right? So, you know, you've got this and I'm kind of saying to them, well, it's your head on the chopping block. You know, it's yeah. not HR's fault if you don't deliver yet. They're dictating how you go about getting talent and That's right. what talent you can get and what level and all of that type of stuff. So now that makes, uh, that makes sense. Well, look, conscious of time, gents, but I guess, it, the individuals that are out there that are in the industry or thinking about getting into the industry, any advice for them? Tim, Tim's been quite quiet, although he's been clapping weirdly. He keeps, <laughs> well, I, was, I can't see him, but he keeps on doing this, I was, uh, <laughs> which is slightly odd, but uh, I was applauding your insight. <laughs> Where's a slow clap? It was a slow clap. It was a bit <laughs> uh, what's my advice? I mean, uh, that's a really good question. I think... Like, I think I'd go back to you. You really don't know what you want to do. Or I didn't know what I, I wanted to do, right? When I was 22 or 23 years old, coming, coming out of university. So I think if you like solving problems, yeah, you know, uh, and it doesn't matter what background you come from, don't be put off by coming into the data, data industry. Because just because it's got the word data attached to it, doesn't mean there's just one job for everybody. That's right. There's a whole sort of smorgasbord of roles that exist within the world of data. You know, you've got the creative people That's right. that can tell stories. You know, the, the role of, I, I, you might correct me on this, but, you know, there's data journalists now that work for, you know, the New York Times has won more awards for uh, uh, data visualization than any other newspaper in the world you know that what a cool job you know to co to go into if you are creative and you want to tell the story that's like the new journalist of yeah. of of today you know there's there's jobs where it's really like mechanical in the world of data where you're it, yes it's logical but you're actually having to piece things together you know it's like i hate to admit this but you know i i, I was like a, a top nerdy lego kid Right. So I think if I was, you know, thinking of myself, it would be like that, you know, data can be like being a, the, the best Lego builder because you're just pulling data sources together and you're kind of building something. There's, you know, there's really intellectually stimulating roles in the world of data. There's commercial roles where you're interfacing between data, the infrastructure, cloud and the business. Yeah, you're, to, you're a translator for that. So, if you, you know, if you're, yeah. fine, if you're an individual that likes to bring groups of people together and have a common understanding. There's loads of roles to be able to translate yeah. that understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So there's loads of roles. And what's great about the world of data and, and automation and cloud and things like this is that you can, you can bring yourself to work. You know, you can turn up as yourself because just by definition, the world of data needs all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds in it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 sort of proven. It's the one industry sector that's proven that diversity is so super important. Yeah. And and actually, it's a lot more uh, futuristic in its thinking than a lot of other industry sectors, yes. in my opinion. So it's much more accepting uh, and accommodating of all sorts of views and opinions because actually, that's what's really important to the world of data is actually people who have different viewpoints. Yep. So I mean, I'm just massive. Obviously, it's hard not to be an advocate of an industry that you're passionate about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like it's really, yeah. it's very difficult. But I just think it's a very open industry. Um, and, you know, for my own children, uh, it's one I'd be 
really pleased to. I mean, they don't listen to a word I say anyway. So, but, I mean, if they ever did listen to a word I said, I would. Well, the advice I would give them is get yourself into into this industry. It's yeah. really cool. Mm. And what about for people that are already in, in the industry that might be, you know, a year, two, three, four years in? Is there still room at Kubrick for those types of people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's someone we've we've got some examples of those um, Kubrick Advanced. Uh, where we get people that have um, experience, um, slightly more experience than our, um, than our core consultants that come in, and maybe they're looking for opportunities to lead data teams. Um, so you know we would we would uh, we would be able to afford them uh, those opportunities, and they could develop more into a, a leadership role. And that's yep. a great thing with the industry, right? It, it's moving so quickly. That you are likely, you know, if you have a peer group in other industries, you are likely to move quicker than them. So Absolutely. it's a great opportunity to, you know, to be able to skill yourself in in skills such as leadership, and you'll be given ample opportunity because there's not enough people. Yeah, yeah, and that makes perfect sense. Well, gents, look, um, really appreciate your time. It's been a, a great conversation. If anyone wants to reach out to you, get hold of you, discuss anything we've talked about, interested in maybe working with you for you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I mean, the best way to do it is they can uh, approach Tim and I um, through LinkedIn. Um, we're, we're always happy for a LinkedIn chat. Yeah. Um, press the join us button on the website. <laughs> yeah. That's always a good one. Yeah, apply, apply through our website. Um, email us at speak to us at kubrickgroup.com. Yeah. Carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah. If you want to, if you want to go analog, like if you're more analog. <laughs> but um, yeah, loads of ways to um, uh, be able to get in touch with us. Uh, easiest is, is to see what we're all about through our website and on our on our LinkedIn page. But yeah, we'd love to talk to anyone that was interested. Nice. Cool. Well, gents, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, you guys keep doing the great work that you're doing and uh, we'll speak soon. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.